For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We just form a fucking wall. O'Neal deep in the post, lots of contact there. Oh, what a block by Wallace. What a jump ball. He's down four, 12-8, 7-38 to play the first one. Burst from Rodney, stuck into the rim. Tapped up, baby, and a foul. Reggie inside for Andre, oh. and a dynamite dunk. And hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Very, very excited to be with you here today, talking all things NBA draft lottery. Obviously, we're here going to be talking about how the Detroit Pistons secured the first pick in the 2021 NBA draft. And joining me today for the show is Palace of Pistons writer Jasper Apollonia. Jasper, first off, Thanks so much for being here. Uh, a very, very exciting night for the Detroit Pistons last night. I was going to say, thanks for having me. Uh, all I want to talk about right now is Cade Cunningham and the Pistons getting that number one pick. Um, it's not often where in one night the entire fortunes of your franchise can change. And last night was that night for Pistons fans. Uh, I know you're excited. There's no way you're more excited than I was last night at a bar. I, I live in New York City, so I was watching with a couple of my friends, and no one else in the bar had any idea what was going on. So <laughs> when they started counting down third, second pick, and then you know they reveal Houston, we just started screaming. We exploded. Everyone, everyone must have thought we were getting into a fight or something. I don't know what it was, but um, euphoria is is really the word. I think I would have to use for my emotions and I think probably most other Pistons fans too. Do you did you have other Pistons guys with you there? I do. I'm I'm believe it or not, I have a couple friends from high school that, that, that live in the city uh which is great whenever there's, you know, something Detroit uh related going on and of course over the past oh, I don't know, 6 7 years there hasn't been that much to cheer about in terms of Detroit sports so nobody ever wants to talk about them. Uh, except for my friends from, from Michigan. So I'm grateful to have them. I'm even more grateful to have Troy Weaver though. Let me tell you what, what a masterclass this last year has been in rebuilding. Yeah. We're going to get in to all that and more, but first off, no Mike Anguilano with me here today. He usually handles the host responsibilities. So I'm jumping into that role as a substitute. There might be some hiccups along the way. I'm going to do my best. But I've gotten so much great feedback on Jasper when he's come on a couple of times on the podcast. So it was my first pick to get to come on the show with me. Um, but before we do get into the good stuff, the Palace of Pistons podcast brought to you by the Believe, Pro- po- Believe Podcast Network is sponsored by Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. So shout out to BetOnline, betonline.ag, to sign up, get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. But let's get in to the meat and gravy, uh, the meat and potatoes. The Pistons landing the number one pick in the draft. Jasper, you already kind of talked about it. I was sitting at home. I actually could have gone to um, the draft lottery that show or or, uh, event that the Pistons were hosting at the uh, Henry Ford Medical Center, but I decided I should stay away from that. I don't want to, you know, get too excited. It probably would have been a great event to be at, um, but I just decided I'll stay home. I'm going to go out to the bar shortly afterwards. I ended up just watching it at home, but it was really exciting. Uh, obviously, you kind of mentioned it, but 
the scene in the bar, I'm sure, was was great. Oh, it was fantastic. By the way, does uh, do you think BetOnline is going to let me uh, wager on who's going to be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft this year? Because I think I have a good strategy for some free money if anyone's <laughs> looking for it. Yeah, what would you have to put on that? Like, what would the return be? Like, do you, pro- do you lose money? I mean, it's so sure. That's fire. right. Uh, yes. I, and, and I think we are going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, it's already been pretty funny seeing some of the immediate uh, articles coming out from like the ringer or the athletic after the Pistons secured the number one overall pick talking about, Oh, should, should they trade down? Should they take someone else? Um, no, <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, this is like one of the most surefire slam dunk number one overall picks in the last 20 years. I would say for me, the, the three prospects that I look at as being better over the past 20 years are LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Luka Doncic. It's, it's really that, that slam dunk. Um, and Pistons fans should, should feel that way. They should be that excited. Yeah, I mean, Kate Cunningham has drawn a lot of praise. 6'8 guard, 7-foot wingspan. It's it it's I'm not surprised by it because there's that recency effect to it, but he does draw a lot of comparisons to Luka Doncic. Um, I I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but hell, I mean, it's it's great for the Pistons. It's it's really freaking good for them that he's drawn comparisons to Luka Doncic so much, and I've seen it from multiple places. I've seen it in scouting reports. I've seen it on Twitter. Uh, he is phenomenal. He does a lot of those. The, the, he plays in a similar way, gets to the basket, is a stat sheet stuffer, a, a phenomenal basketball player. Um, 100%. You but, know, I, that, I think that Luca thing is interesting. I do also see a lot of Luca in his game, but I think the thing that people are overlooking a little bit, the differences, is he really does have that post-up ability. Uh, he reminds me almost of like, you remember when Kobe Bryant, later career Kobe, when he had lost that, that you know, hugely springy athleticism because Cade Cunningham is not some high-flying leaper. He's not a first-step maven. He's not going to kill you uh, driving into the paint with his explosiveness. But late career Kobe, he would get into those post-ups or he'd get into the mid-range, and he could just absolutely eat up anyone who was smaller than him. Or if you were bigger than him, he could still go by you. Uh, he reminds me so much of that. I think Ben Simmons with a three-point shot is, for me, almost more accurate than Luca in some ways. A little more confidence? Yeah, maybe. Yes, <laughs> yeah, God, I hope. I mean I, mean, I mean, I think just because there's that defensive ability, too. And I think that's a big part of what's being slept on when it oh, comes absolutely. to Ben to, – to, to Cade Cunningham because Luca is for all the great things he does is not some shutdown defender by any stretch of the imagination. And Cade Cunningham has the ability to not just be the guy on offense, but be the guy on defense as well. And that's what really, for me, separates him from so many other great prospects. Oh, no, most, most definitely. And, you know, I think that's also what kind of separates him from a guy like Jalen Green, where I know there are a lot of people that like Jalen Green. I, myself, a big fan of him. If the Pistons would have got anything other than one, Jalen Green would have been the hope for me. Whether it was two, three, or four, you know, somehow if he slid to five, whatever, like, that would have been my guy. Very talented scorer. May even have a slight edge over Cade and just pure scoring ability. Um, but what makes Cade a better prospect is – Obviously, the playmaking, the ball handling, and the defense. Like, Jalen Green, you don't think defense. You, you think, oh, this is a pure score. Kind of like a, a Lou Williams in a sense. This guy can just go and get you a bucket. Dick Cade Cunningham, that's where you get the the, the star comparisons, but also the, the, the fact that he not only does it all offensively, but is a very competent and, and, and good defender. I mean, uses that size that he has, 6'8", 7-foot-plus wingspan, long arms, some good core body strength. He uses all those things to his advantage. And you look at that as, as, with a fit of this Pistons team is 
he just makes them an even more encouraging defensive group. Killian Hayes, an excellent defender, both on and off the ball in his rookie season. That's a guy that I want to get into more, maybe not today, but throughout the summer, because there's a lot of different opinions on him. He's a polarizing prospect right now. Would love to talk more about him. Remember, just remember, we've only seen him for about 30 games this year. And, and half of it, or the first seven were him just being thrown into the fire when he came into the league. And the other half of it was him coming off a multi-month injury where he was probably still playing a little a little hurt, not at 100%. Um, and then you have Sadiq Bey, who obviously a strong guy, can defend. I, Jeremy Grant, very long, shown he is throughout his career, but a plus defender. And then you have your rim protector in a guy like Isaiah Stewart, protects the basket, block shots, gets rebounds, alter shots. Like that five, which I think everyone is kind of under the understanding and the hope that that's the starting five, unless Isaiah Stewart gets swapped out for Mason Plumley. I think that might still be a debate. I think everyone's hoping it's Stewart. They're right for hoping it's Stewart, considering he's probably their center of the future, at least right now with the way the roster is constructed. But the defensive potential and, and Cade was going to slide in with any team like, there's just no no team that can't use a guy like Cade Cunningham a, 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 a number one guy a star prospect but his fit with the Pistons arguably their weakest spot in the lineup like he's going to play the two for them I obviously played a lot of one in college but he's a combo guard just like it, it, it just fits so perfect with where the Pistons are at right now it, it's funny you say the word fit because I, I think immediately after the pick, you saw some national pundits um, who don't watch the Pistons, like Bill Simmons, for example, um, talk about, oh, well, you know, what's the what's the fit on this team? Uh, to which I would answer, um, there's there's literally not a single team in the NBA that this guy would not fit on. There are like the most important things you can do right now are create shots for others and defend one through four and Cade Cunningham does both of those things. Uh, it, it really like, yeah, you're hundred percent right to be excited about that defense because at six foot eight, he can combine with Killian to maybe look, if Killian pans out, you're talking about probably the best defensive backcourt in the NBA in two years. And, oh, here's the thing. The other guy is six foot five. Killian's six foot five. Um, Cunningham is six foot eight. You can slide over to defend other positions as well. This team's going to be an absolute nightmare, a nightmare to play against. Maybe even as soon as next year. You think how feisty and, and oh, difficult, right? How feisty and difficult the, the Pistons were to play against defensively last year. They're going to go from a pain in the butt to like, oh no, we need to, we need to watch out because these guys can shut down whoever you have on offense. They are going to have that kind of versatility that I really believe. And I said this with, with Mike, I think you are instantly in contention for one of those play in spots next year. I would be, if Cade stays healthy, if things work out in terms of health, I don't really see why you can't compete for the 10th seed in the East. I really don't. Yeah. And, and I, I do want to get into that. That's where I was going to head before I said this, Troy Weaver said it best <laughs> earlier, earlier today on 97 one, he said, look, we won 20 games last year. There's, there's no, there, there's no player that doesn't fit with us. I mean, we, we need guys that are going to help us win basketball games. Right. So there's no player that doesn't fit with this team. And, you know, obviously that's probably a lot of just like, media talk but at the same time it's a very valid point i don't think there's any player on this pistons team that's quote-unquote untouchable kate cunningham now becomes your like essentially untouchable player unless you're getting someone like luca booker jason tatum back in return well let's let's talk about that aaron because who what would you what would it take for you to give up that number one pick because like you said troy weaver said oh yeah we're open to looking at offers for the number one pick, which I think is, <laughs> is GM speak for the most part. But, but I think it does also bring up a legitimate question. 
if Cade Cunningham is that franchise changing talent, which I obviously believe he is, and many, many other scouts seem to believe he is as well. What are you willing to give up for that? It, it really is that upper echelon of, of, of young guys in the league right now. Like it's Tatum, it's Booker, it's Luca. Like it's gotta be a player of that magnitude. I think someone even posted it in the palace of Pistons group chat, uh, like, does a Donovan Mitchell get the job done for Cade Cunningham? In my opinion, I would I, I would probably say yes. I think Donovan Mitchell's phenomenal. I I, I don't know. I, I haven't put a ton of thought into, like, if it really came down to it, are you making that trade? Obviously, unless it's someone like Luca, who is just, like, literally the future of the league. Like, he is quickly becoming the now, but is also, like, the future like unless you're getting an MVP candidate, it's going to be tough because Kate is in that upper echelon of young guys, number one draft picks, like surefire picks. Like last year, there was that, that group that said LaMelo should be number one. There was uh, the, hello. I was one of those. (laughs) Right. And then there was Anthony Edwards who obviously went number one. Like this year it's Kate Cunningham. There's just no debate. A couple years ago, maybe like a few people said John Morant, but everyone and their mother was really saying Zion. And Cade is in that same, it's Zion that's the number one pick. Like the best player coming out of this draft will be Cade Cunningham. And it would have to take something massive to trade him. If you are getting a young star, especially with where the Pistons are at in the rebuild, like, yeah, you 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 can do that, but it's got to be like a massive trade. Like, I don't think a trade with that's a bunch of picks gets it done for me. I don't see the value in that when you just landed the best pick and you got a chance to get a real stud. So it, it would be like a massive, massive return. I agree with you there. Uh, I hear you saying some of the names you're throwing out, Booker, Mitchell. Just being honest, I'm – no, that's not enough. I would need Booker and something. I would need Mitchell and something. Because when you look at someone like Donovan Mitchell, for example, undersized, de- not, a, not a great defensive option. Uh, same goes for Booker in terms of like, you know, he's obviously is a great, great scorer. Has shown in these playoffs that he can play as a, facilitator as well highly effectively but on the defensive end what are you really getting with him not that much and I think that is the thing with Cunningham where it's like he is such a slam dunk at that number one spot and he can affect the game at both ends of the floor so dramatically that yeah it would have to take for me if if I'm talking like straight up Luka Doncic or Jason Tatum I'm not sure there's anyone else I would take, to be honest. Um, that's how how sold I am on Cunningham because even with Zion, like like you said, Zion, surefire number one pick, no question. But there were questions about Zion coming into the league. Can he shoot? Can his body, uh, you know, deal with the stress of of all those NBA minutes? How is he going to look defensively with his lateral quickness and the thing that makes Cade different is that those questions don't really exist. His weaknesses are basically he can't jump, you know, 40 feet in the air. He's not the quickest guy because he's six foot eight, 220 pounds. And um, I, I don't know. He's, his handle is maybe a little suspect sometimes. Like, that's it. Everything else, you're already talking about a guy who day one is going to come in and be able to affect games with his physicality on both ends of the floor. Like, if you watch him play the game of basketball, going into the paint, his footwork is ridiculous. And his strength is like, I'm watching these highlight videos. His, he's so strong. Like, you don't really see guys with this kind of shooting ability and this kind of playmaking ability who also can just shrug off defenders and put their shoulder into someone on the baseline and finish over them. So yeah, for me, 
I'm going to need literally it's going to be Luca or Jason Tatum and or else you better start talking about what else you're throwing in on top of it. No, I, like you just want all in on Cade and I'm fine with that. A phenomenal prospect. I might be like a tad lower on him. Like I would probably take a booker in return for him, but like, there's no doubt he's going to come in and he's, he's helping this Pistons team win right now, right away. And I think that leads to the question we, we did kind of push aside because you brought it up earlier, but w- how competitive is this Pistons team next year? They didn't win a lot of games this year, obviously. Obviously, they didn't win a lot because they got the number one pick in the draft. So they were pretty, <laughs> they did not win. But a, even like the national writers and media folk know that this was like a really scrappy tanking team. Like this was – some people say it was the best tank, the most competitive tank in the history of the league or, or in a long time, whatever you want to put it. And it really was because the Pistons were in the majority of games that they played. They played all their young guys, big minutes when they were healthy. And for the most part, outside of like the last two, three weeks, they didn't really rest players. So they did it the right way. It worked out. They got the number one pick. But you look at how close they were last year, starting three rookies and, and moving some guys around midseason, trading away their their center, you know, a former centerpiece, you know, in Blake Griffin, who obviously wasn't himself anymore really converting the team into Jeremy Grant's hands. It was his first season as the lead guy going from like the fourth option in the offense to the, being the number one guy and sharing the court with pretty much all rookies and and, and young guys. And they were really, really competitive. Now you add the best player in the draft, a guy that was the best player in college basketball, the, you know, the best player in, in, in any league outside of the NBA, maybe, maybe that's a stretch with the Euro league. I don't know. But he averaged over 20 points, six rebounds, three and a half assists, a steal and a half, shot 44% from the field, 40% from the three-point line, 85% from the free throw line. He's coming in, and he's going to be your starting two guard or whatever right away. And then you have an offseason of development and growth for Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, Jeremy Grant, who's going to the Olympics and is going to get – uh, an Olympics opportunity to, to train and, and be coached by the best coaches and work with some of the best players in the league. We're going to talk about that probably next two weeks more. So on the podcast about Jeremy Grant and the, the Olympics, but wanted to just mention that in this topic, right, because we're really going to be lottery focused throughout the rest of this show. Um, but you got an off season of development for those guys that are still young, are still getting better. Now they come into their second year alongside Cade Cunningham. We'll see what Detroit does in terms of that second unit. Though I'm sure they'll keep Mason Plumlee. We'll see if Saban Lee is back as the if he's going to get the opportunity to be the backup point guard after showing some stuff in his rookie season. You know what happens with Seku? Obviously, he played better towards the end of last year and showed a sign of life, which is really important. But that does not save him if the Pistons find a better option. Um, and then you have. Guys like Josh Jackson, Frank Jackson, the Pistons got a decision to make on Hamadou Diallo and how much money they want to pay him, especially since he plays the position of Cade Cunningham, who is coming into that two spot right now. So, you know, let's say they end end back up with Diallo because Troy Weaver obviously really likes him. He talked again today about how he really wants guys that compete and and are go-getters out there. Hamadou Diallo fits that bill. But your, your starting five is Killian Hayes, Cade, Sadiq Bey, Jeremy Grant, and Isaiah Stewart. Off the bench, you got Frank Jackson, Hamadou Diallo, Mason Plumley, and you know whatever other combination, what other two or three guys are in the rotation. How competitive is that team in an Eastern Conference that maybe has some shifting around to do? Uh, we'll see what happens this offseason with a team like the Sixers. What kind of changes do they make? What are some of those? What happens to some of those fringe teams? this year what does washington do where does chicago head orlando's you know work themselves out of uh, being in the playoff mix where does indiana go do they get better do they make some moves like they they didn't make it out of the play in this year there's there's an opening towards that back end of the playoff you know six through ten if you include those play-in spots where does detroit fall in that mix man that's a great question it, it, <sighs> 
look, I've already said, I've gone on record as saying, I think that there's no reason they can't compete for that, that play in spot um, in the East. There's just no reason they can't, because you look at the other teams that are kind of in similar situations and you look at the, the way that those rosters are, are built first, the way that Detroit's roster is built and the culture that Detroit has right now, like Indiana, they're a mess. Chicago, they're a mess. Detroit, like young players, a coach that obviously, and, and GM that are both like obviously very entrenched at this point, um, definitely have a lot of respect with their players, with the organization, with the community at large. So for me, I look at it, not just like, what are the rosters, but also what are the situations? We've already talked about, yeah, Killian Hayes, what's the fit there? I think more really, realistically, the issue in terms of fit, the only thing I can really think of being an issue is actually with Jeremy Grant. Because Jeremy Grant's going to be the only person, you know, other than, of course, Mason Plumley. But he's really going to be the only guy getting real rotational minutes that's like over 24 years old next year. And he came to this team in order to get more shots, to be that number one option. And now you're seeing with Kate Cunningham, who's obviously going to come in and demand a large role, with young players like Sadiq Bey, who's going to need more responsibilities next year, with guys like Killian Hayes, who didn't even play a whole season, didn't even play half a season. He's going to need some more time with the ball as well. So I think that really this roster should work well together. Um, They're young. There's not a bunch of egos yet. I think that really bodes very, very well for the type of of team that they're trying to build in Detroit. Um, But I do think there's, of course, still question marks. Like, like I said, like what's going to happen with that Jeremy Grant situation? Is he going to be okay? Maybe taking, a step back, you know, being maybe a little bit closer to what he was in Denver versus what he was last year. Uh, Is Killian Hayes going to be able to shoot the ball well enough off ball to make up for Cade Cunningham having to be the primary ball handler for a lot of the time? Is Sadiq Bey going to be able to handle that increased responsibility? Or is it even going to be one of those things where he might even regress a little bit because there's just not enough opportunities for him? In my opinion, the pieces are there. The culture is there. They can get that play-in spot next year. I truly believe. However, it's not set in stone, and they easily could find themselves back in the lottery next season, uh, which might not be the worst thing in the world either. So, yeah, I think I think that at the very least, the same level of competitive edge should be there. Now let's add in an extra. 10, 12 wins on top of it. So I look at the Eastern Conference this year, and your 7 through 10 are, are Boston, Washington, Indiana, and Charlotte. Bulls and Raptors, 11 and 12. I think the Pistons can absolutely find themselves. I think they can get all the way up to 8. That doesn't mean that they're gonna get there, or that I, I, I I'm predicting they will get there. I just see that that avenue is there, that that path is there to them jumping all the way to the eight seed. I I think the top four teams in the East are are, are pretty much locked in. Like the Sixers are gonna make some moves, but they're gonna be moves to like get better. They're not gonna really be to 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 blow things up. Like they're not trading Embiid. They're gonna try to get that, that guy to pair with him. Like, it's probably not Ben Simmons, but they're going to try to get a guy that can pair with him so they can still be a top four seed or whatever and give it another go. The Nets are locked in. The Bucks are locked in. The Knicks, I think they I think they kind of regress a little bit next year, but they're still probably a playoff team. And who knows? They, they might add someone this year that, that makes them, you know, just as good or even better. The Hawks this Eastern conference finals run that solidifies them as a team. That's, that's going to be competing next year. And, you know, I thought if they maybe got bounced early, they'd make some decisions with the stuff going on earlier in the year, talking about Trey young and John Collins having some issues. The heat are still going to try to compete Boston. 
we'll see what happens with them. Having Tatum, having Jalen Brown, that's good enough to to get you in in the East. And you know they're making some changes, but you look at eight through ten, the the last the last three spots, Detroit can absolutely find their mix in there. The Wizards, the Pacers, the Hornets, the Bulls, and the Raptors. Like they got to fight with those teams, and maybe someone else does fall off in the East. I don't know, but I, I'm not expecting it. And if the Pistons don't get in, like, that's okay. Like, they're still going to be incredibly young. But I just think that they, they, they're they going to take that next step. We saw how close they were. And let's face it, they probably did throw a couple games where they just really didn't go all in at the end with some, some rotation decisions and some play calls. Like, they probably could have won a couple more games here. You you hope that's them throwing games and not Dwayne Casey just being Dwayne Casey. <laughs> one has to hope. One really does have to hope on that one. Uh, but I guess we'll find out this year, huh? <laughs> yeah. It, but, I mean, and it's going to be like, I think the starting five is solid. What does that depth look like? You have a couple developmental pieces in that potential backup unit in Saban Lee and Seku. You know, what happens with Diallo? He's a guy that's obviously going to help them win. Uh, do they keep Mason Plumlee with Isaiah Stewart? And those are the questions that are going to make up really how good the Pistons are going to be. Like, I think that starting five is is obviously locked in. It's going to be a good group. But you got to have depth. you got to have injury, you know, reserve. And you got to be able to play when a guy misses a stretch. Jeremy Grant's probably going to miss some games here there. He usually does. Does Killian Hayes need some rest? Like, things of that nature. Um, yeah. I uh, you know, I, I know there are people saying Detroit can get six, and I think that's a little bit of a stretch. There's still enough good talent in the East top way. I just think that bottom, that bottom, you know, seven to ten, it's it's attainable, but it's going to take a lot of things going their way, getting a little lucky, and obviously it's going to take big stretches of development, and it's also going to mean Cade Cunningham has to come in right away, and like he's got to be really freaking good right away. Yeah. Oh, well, luckily. He is the type of player that is really, like, he's so smart. If you ever listen to any of these pre-draft interviews he does, this guy knows exactly what he needs to work on. He knows exactly what he does well. Um, He's very locked in, and I think that's something that kind of gets overlooked sometimes when it comes to to draft picks. You just look at, ah, how do they play, and you don't really think about, well, what do they do off of the floor as well? Uh, Cade seems to be one of those guys that it's, it's all there on the floor, off the floor, he's locked in. Um, So I think that bodes very, very well for next year. The sixth seed for me, this is still a young team. Like young teams don't do that in their first year all being together. They need to grow. They need to learn together. And that's why I'm saying I not even just because, oh, that's the guy of the future. I'd like Isaiah Stewart in the starting lineup because I'd like to have Mason Plumlee be in that second unit, being able to, create shots for other guys a little bit. I think a big problem that you had this year, especially at the beginning of the year, when you still had Blake Griffin on the roster, along with Mason and uh, Jeremy Grant and Killian Hayes, was you saw Killian Hayes really struggle in those first few games because there just wasn't enough touches for him. There wasn't enough ability. There was enough time for him to do the things that he does well, which is pass and make plays for other guys when Blake Griffin is ISOing and Mason Plumlee standing at the top of the key, that really hurts your ability as a young guard to do the things that you're there to do. So for me, I look at this being a really good opportunity to see exactly what Troy Weaver brings to this team in terms of building that backups, you know, building the backups and um, building that roster and building the, the team around this superstar player in Kate Cunningham. One thing that the other teams in that seven to 10 spot have not done well, in my opinion, is build around their best players. You look at Indiana. That's a team that is so confused. They have talent. Karis Levert is on that roster. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis is a really good player. Miles Turner is a really good player. But do those guys necessarily play well together? Do they play well with the other players around them? No. And the same thing goes for Boston. You have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and you can't find anything to put around them. You're throwing the corpse of Tristan Thompson out there. Like, 
that is something that I see Detroit having a little bit of a leg up in this season because they do have established players that are going to be on the bench. You can trust Josh Jackson a little bit if he's coming off your bench. You can trust Mason Plumley to outplay most backup centers. You can trust Hamadou Diallo to have an athletic edge over most backups. So I look at it in that way. I think that's really even more so than the solidity of the starting lineup. That's going to make the difference for Detroit this year is that ability to have a bench that can be impactful when it needs to be. The Pistons still have the, the, the off season ahead of them outside of the number one pick. They hold three second round picks 32, uh, which was from New York. They have 37, which comes from Toronto and they have 42, which comes from the Charlotte Hornets. So they probably don't use all four picks. They probably package some of those second round picks. Maybe they end up getting another guy in the draft. That's going to come in and play, but still an off season to figure out the rest of that roster. Like they don't have a ton of roster spots available, but there's still some moves to be made. Yeah, absolutely. Who's your backup point guard next year? Is it Saban Lee? Is he ready for that yet? I don't know. I'm not bringing back Corey Joseph personally. So, you know, what's, what's the answer there? Uh, can Diallo and, and, you know, Josh Jackson play together? Cause like kind of get in each other's way. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. There's definitely questions there, but they're not the hardest questions, which are who's our star, who's making plays for us. Um, so, yeah, I, like I said, I think this is where Troy Weaver really comes into play and, and we get to really see a little bit more even of, yeah, we've seen how he can tear down a roster and make it competitive and get good players in, but, how does he build a roster when you're trying to now become more competitive in terms of winning games? How does he build a roster in terms of filling out those solid veteran backups that you're going to need? Because this is such a young roster. There's a good chance that other than Jeremy Grant, nobody in your starting five next year is going to be older than 22 years old. That's crazy. That just doesn't happen very often in the NBA. And you're going to need to find cheap options on the market, uh, especially when it comes to veterans that are going to have to play a big role this year. So that's going to be a big part of it as well, I think. Yeah, still some work to do for the Pistons in the offseason. Probably need to address some 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 depth at the point guard and power forward positions, maybe even on the wing. But moving into, we'll just spend a few minutes on the rest of the lottery some big-time losers, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They dropped to seven. That pick ends up going now to the Golden State Warriors. Well, the seventh and 14th pick. The the, Bulls, when are, I'm sorry, when are the Minnesota Timberwolves ever not big-time losers? That whole franchise is a big-time loss. Oh, pathetic. Sorry, I just had to get that off my chest. Just the Magic also uh, take the Chicago Bulls pick as that fell to Eight, so it converted to the magic that comes from the Nikolai Vucevic trade. Um, big winners are outside of the Pistons, the Cavs, who jumped to three, and Toronto jumped all the way to four. The magic sliding down to five, so they kind of lost and won because they were able to get the Bulls pick, but their own pick also fell to five. Mm-hmm. Um, but Toronto jumping all the way to four. That's who I thought once I saw that they got in the top four, that's who I thought was going to win the lottery. Um, but Cleveland was <laughs> making that jump. So, yeah, I mean, some of those other guys that we were talking about prior to the Pistons getting the number one pick, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, where do they fit in this draft? Man, that's a great uh, – you know, Toronto is a team that I think is super interesting going into this draft because they tried to move on from Kyle Lowry last year when, when they realized they weren't going to make the playoffs. Now what do they do? Because they have the ability now with a top four pick to where they could potentially get his replacement in, in Suggs, or they could get another player to put next to him in Jalen Green as that really like that number two scorer. Man, Toronto's another team that 
we're talking about the Pistons as being potentially getting back into the playoffs next year. I think Toronto is a team that absolutely needs to be in that same conversation as being a potential playoff team next season. That top four pick, there's a lot they can do with it. There is a lot they can do with it. And yes, like you said, um, you know, Cleveland's also in a weird kind of position here with that number three pick. Like, do they want to trade out of that? Do you want to commit to the Garland Sexton thing? Or is that done now and you're moving on from Sexton and you, you know, you draft his replacement in Jalen Green. It's going to be interesting to see how the back of that, you know, top four or five kind of, kind of goes out. I'm interested to think, um, excuse me. I'm interested in hearing what you think about that three, four, five kind of position. Um, because I do agree with you in terms of Orlando, they were both winners and losers. They have the ability to retool, but they lost out on that top four pick. So yeah. How are, how are you feeling about this? I really think Toronto can, can make an impactful draft pick and put themselves right back into top six seed in the East. Yeah, and this is where I wish Mike was here to give us that Cavaliers perspective. I think this is specifically for them an incredibly important draft pick because they're either going with a guard that might break up the Garland-Sexton duo unless they want to commit to playing a guy like if Jalen Green's there at three, unless they want to commit to playing him at three and playing a Coro at the four. Like that's the really the only avenue they can go with, but (laughs) if they if they want to go for the opposite of what the Pistons are building and have just a terrible defensive, (laughs) terrible defensive backcourt, no ability to switch on the wings at all. Yeah, I say go for it. They're in the same division. Why not? (laughs) But then on the flip side, if Evan Mobley's there, well, you just traded for Jared Allen. And you know, Jared Allen's not a not someone to, to shy away. Like, that's a, a good young center. Like, do you want to take Mobley and, and, and put him over Jared Allen? Or do you, for some reason, think you're going to play Mobley and, and, and Jared Allen together when you still have Kevin Love on the roster and Larry Nance Jr.? Like, they're in a very, very weird position. If they do have the inclination that they want to move on from Colin Sexton, then maybe that makes it a little bit easier to go out and grab a Jalen Green or a Jalen Suggs because they can just slide in to that spot that Colin Sexton was playing at the two-guard position. But they're in a really interesting position. Houston, like, they need anything. Yeah. They could take Jalen Green and they could use his scoring. Or they could get Evan Mobley and try to play him and Christian Wood together. Like, they just need talent. Like, they need basketball players. So, you know, they could go either way. Toronto, if a guy like Evan Mobley was, fell to four, like, that is just – would be it would be a huge for Toronto because if, if they're going to keep Lowry and they have Van Fleet, they really didn't need a center last year. Like, Aaron Baines wasn't it. No. And they needed a, a, a center. And if you can add Evan Mobley to Lowry, Van Fleet, Ananobi, Siakam, you got Gary Trent Jr. Like that just gives them that, that positional help that they needed. And for a team that's probably already going to be better next year, that would be huge for them. Uh, I, I think if in terms of general NBA fan, how I'd want two, three, four to play out, I think I, I would want, Jalen Green to go two. Jalen Suggs to go three because that means Colin Sexton's probably going to get traded, which it already sounds like he's going to. And then you get Toronto back in the mix with Evan Mobley. I just think he helps them so much. And they're a team that's already going to be back to being a playoff team next year anyway. He just helps make them a little bit more scarier. I'm thinking of a Siakam Mobley front court, and I'm like shaking my head. That is scary. That is a scary, scary proposition if you are trying to get into the lane at all two dudes who could just eat you up with length and face-up game and perimeter defense like wow yeah well here's the question maybe as well if you're um if you're cleveland and you're trying to trade out of that three spot or you're toronto and you're maybe trying to get somebody like evan mobley is there maybe a trade right there if 
if you're Cleveland and you say, hey, you know, if, if for example, if uh, Houston does decide to go with somebody other than Mobley at two, if you're Toronto, do you take that risk and say, yeah, we'll trade up? Maybe, you know, I, I don't know what a package exactly would look like. I'm no draft trade guru. But would that be a move if you're the Raptors, you think about doing trading up to three with with Cleveland? Yeah, I mean, I mean, right. Like you want to keep the guys that you're going to be competing with, like Lowry, Siakam, Van Fleet, Ananobi. But do you do you do you throw in your your picks? Like, do you have something off the bench? Like, do you have a young player off the bench that off the top of my head, I don't really think uh, the Raptors really do unless like Cleveland's thrilled with Malachi Flynn and wants another guard to just not really have a role for. Um, OG, but I, but I don't think you move on from OG if you're, if you're Toronto. Yeah. Not. And, and, yeah. I mean, OG's and they don't have a lot of forward depth. So like, he's really important to that team. Yeah. So they can't really afford to move on from him, but maybe like Chris Boucher, who had some nice moments this year and like, Cleveland could talk themselves into palping in their, their, their big man rotation along with pick compensation. I mean, it would probably take four Boucher. And I mean, I don't know, like, do you give up another first round pick? Like that's what they got to decide. How valuable is a guy like Evan Mobley to them? Yeah. Um, it's a good, it's a good question, but yeah. I think even then, you know what, if you are Toronto and the guy who's there is, is Suggs, I think you go, okay, fine. You know, you draft him and he's playing behind uh, one of the best point guards in the game and Kyle Lowry for a year. And then maybe you move on. Maybe you trade Lowry at the deadline. Who knows? And he may already be gone this off season. So it's like, yeah. you could, and, 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 and maybe if you end up with one of those guys that, that makes that departure a little bit easier. Yeah. It, look, it's going to be a fascinating draft. Like I oh, really yeah. think it's, it's great as a Pistons fan because you have the the pick that the number one pick. So it's like you're getting the guy. You are don't have to worry about any of oh is this guy going to get taken here or here or here. You are locked in. Um, but after that, I would not be surprised to see a bunch of chaos, especially with like teams like OKC that have so many picks coming up over the next few years. Maybe they go hey we got screwed out of the top three, four pick we wanted this year. Let's trade back in. We can afford to, we have the draft capital. So right. no, that's hey, that's a good point too. Yeah. I mean, OKC's got that firepower and you know, maybe that makes it a little bit easier for Cleveland go down to six. Maybe they end up with a guy like Jonathan Kuminga and they got something else back in return. They got a future draft pick in return. Like the, the Thunder have a million first round picks to play with. If they saw a guy they really liked, they really wanted Jalen Suggs, like they could go do that. Yeah. Go why get, not? You know, Evan Mobley or whoever it was that really thrilled them. I will say this though, Sam Presti, if you try and pick up the phone and call Troy Weaver for that number one pick, don't even think about it, buddy. <laughs> Hang it up. Make another choice. Cause we're not trading that number one pick. I don't care how much you throw our way. Um, also, just smart decision. Don't don't trade with Sam Presti unless he's giving you James Harden in return. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, let's uh, let's get into some general uh, general playoff talk to to finish up the show. Phoenix winning on Tuesday night at the buzzer. A DeAndre alley oop to to beat the Clippers. Suns take a two zero lead without Chris Paul. Obviously, the Clippers are still without Kawhi Leonard with Chris Paul on the docket to return to game three. Where does this leave the rest of the series? Oh, well, uh, I need probably about a minute and a half to answer this question, but we're going to have to pause about, oh, 15 times in between, Aaron. Just like last night's game. Uh, great game. Scott Foster. Get off my television, please. I've I've had enough. I don't know how much of it you watch. The endless replays made me want to go insane because that was a fantastic finish. But, I mean, come on, man. We have to take out a, a microscope to see, oh, the ball went off of Booker's fingertips last, so it's Clippers' ball. Get 
out of here. Um, sorry, that's just my like two second rant on that. That that drove me insane. Um, you know, you can't count out the Clippers at this point, right? They've been down 0-2 in two straight series, and they've come back. They came back in the last one, even without Kawhi Leonard, against the team with the best record in the NBA this year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, it does seem a little more dire this time, right? Like, everyone expected the Jazz to fold. If we're being honest, most people did not see that team going to the NBA Finals, even if they didn't lose Mike Conn. The Suns feels like a different kind of deal. They they just feel so locked in. Um, Aiton has such a massive advantage over the front court players for the Clippers. Like Zubats, poor guy. I mean, he jumped at the same time as Aiton, but they didn't come down at the same time. And with Chris Paul coming back, I think Reggie Jackson's played amazing these playoffs, and he played great last night as well. But now you're talking about, with Chris Paul, somebody that can take advantage of some of the things that, say, Reggie Jackson or Luke Kennard could get away with with campaign on the floor. Like See, you could, how, do you, how do you bench campaign after 29 and 9? I mean, my goodness, this guy was out of the league a couple of years ago. Amazing. And it's like, I saw people saying like, oh, you know, it just matters fit and who you're with and blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Campaign, I watched enough. The guy was terrible. He he was terrible. And he ended up, I like am so proud of him because the guy went overseas. He worked his ass off, clearly. And he came back this year and he's been a great, great backup point guard. Um, but yes, you bench him because you're talking about Chris <laughs> Paul. <laughs> and and Chris Paul, if you get Chris Paul in pick and rolls and the Clippers try and play Luke Kennard like they did last night because they needed the offensive firepower, like game over. He'll abuse him. Um, yeah, man, it's going to be a really, really, really uphill climb for the Clippers, especially now that Paul George missed those two gimme foul shots that would have won them the game last night. You have to wonder what's his confidence like right now because I'll tell you, when he missed the first foul shot, and then got the ball back from the ref for the second one, you could see it in his eyes he was going to miss. You could just see it on his face. He was shook. And when your best star player is shook like that, and you don't have Kawhi Leonard to fall back on for a couple games in order to let Paul George get his confidence back a little bit, man, it just feels like the end of the road. Like, who's getting you out of this hole? Reggie Jackson's been great, but... Like, he's not enough. Pat Bev is not saving anyone. Rajon Rondo is not saving anyone. Nick Batum is not saving anyone. So, yeah, for me, I don't want to say, like, it's the end of the road because the Clippers have already come back from two of these deficits, but... Are you saying Suns in four? Like, the... (laughs) You know what? Just because I, I don't want to bring that same level of aggression, I'll say Suns and five. But okay, okay, a little I, more passive. All right. Yeah, I man, it's hard to see a, a way out of this hole for for the Clippers now. I I will say I I thought it was just incredibly puzzling, thinking making you know changing your starting lineup and replacing Terrence Mann and Nick Batum with Patrick Beverly and Zubac, like. DeAndre got to his spot every single time with Zubac on the court. It did not matter who was playing the center position. He had 24 and 14. He missed three total shots from the field. He got wherever he wanted, no matter who was in. And Terrence Mann obviously had a big playoff game for them just a a handful of games ago. And Nick Batum, he's not a world beater. But he probably provides more for you than Patrick Beverly. And on another, on another side, Marcus Morris having seven points and five rebounds, like with an opportunity to really step up, really disappointing from him. It really just falls on the shoulders of Paul George and Reggie Jackson right now. It's crazy to me that Reggie Jackson is the second best healthy player 
on a team playing for the Western Conference Championship? I mean, I have a lot of takes from 2015 that have finally been vindicated. Let me tell you that much. You and me both. <laughs> I went to war. <laughs> Some, I have I have less on my Andre Drummond's takes from that era have aged significantly less well, but we'll leave that for another time. Again, you and me both. <laughs> but it feels good. The Reggie Jackson takes have finally been vindicated. Um, but yeah, I mean, how I would have even thrown Luke Kennard in the starting lineup over Patrick Beverly, like. Oh, they didn't get you anywhere. I said that, and I said that in game one. Why are you playing Patrick Beverly over Luke Kennard? It, he's not stopping anyone. He's not slowing down Devin Booker. Like you saw him in the huddle right before Booker hit that big, big shot to give the the Suns the lead. Pat Bev, you can see him in the huddle screaming, "Oh, force him right, force him right." Okay, force him right. What did you? He hit a shot over you anyway. Like, come on, man. Russell Westbrook. I don't agree with him on everything, especially shot selection. But on Pat Beverly, he was right. He just runs around, man. He Damn doesn't it. do anything. Damn it. I was going to say that. <laughs> say, the greatest quote from a basketball player ever was Russell Westbrook saying, Pat Bev tricks y'all, man. He's <laughs> out there doing like um, – he's just out there running in circles. There was a different word, I think. He, he goes, Pat Bev fool y'all. He just he just runs around in circles doing nothing. Yeah, like that was just the it's, and it's so true. Like yeah. that guy is just a dirty player, tries to hurt people. Like I he's just the absolute worst and he's not good. Like he just no. provides you anything. And Look, he's still out there. Like it just makes no sense. If Devin like, Booker's coach if- well, that's just where he's made an awful mistake. I agree. If look, if Devin Booker's going to score 40 points on you every game no matter what, at least put a guy out there who can score like along with him in terms of, of Luke Kennard, someone who can space the floor for you. Unlike yeah. Patrick Beverly, who just isn't offering you anything at either end of the floor. Right let now. Reggie Jackson, let Paul George break down the defense and then have someone like Luke Kennard out there waiting out for the open shot. I mean, kind of just seems like common sense. It same, same. You're preaching to the choir here, but I guess Ty Lu, uh, he got fooled. <laughs> well bucks and hawks tips off tonight as we're recording this podcast it's literally tipping off in like four minutes so we're not going to really have anything on that until next week we'll have what two maybe three games of that series uh done by the time we record next week but we've gone about an hour uh jasper and i were planning to go for about a half hour 45 yeah. minutes so we're back to the, like the old days where this podcast was like, yeah, going to be a quicker show this week. And then we went for an hour and a half, like <laughs> we're slowly getting back there. But like Mike and I have been saying, it was going to get a little quieter, but now everything is picking back up. So very, very excited uh, to get right back into this with the Pistons. There's a lot going on now, a lot to talk about. The shows are definitely going to be getting longer. It seems like, um, but Jasper, any final thoughts before you wrap this up? Um, you know, I was at Game 7, Bucks nets at Barclays Center uh, a few days ago. The feeling in there was absolutely electric. Uh, when KD hit that, that game-tying shot, it was nuts. It was an energy that you could just feel in your body. I can't wait till Little Caesars has that same thing. When the Pistons go back to the playoffs and they're competing – with Cade Cunningham as their superstar. Um, It's going to be really fun to look forward to. And the fact that now we see that coming, hey, it it couldn't come soon enough, man. Couldn't come soon enough. Well, guys, that is going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Palace of Pistons podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you again to our sponsor, Bet Online. Jasper again, thank you for joining me. Very good show today. Guys, again, exciting time for the Pistons. A lot of stuff coming down the pipeline, the draft, summer league, free agency, all that and more. We're going to get into all of that stuff throughout the rest of the summer here on the Palace of Pistons podcast.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.